Best new podcast in the world. From WWE to DNA Impact. By way of the NWA. It's time for Reffing It Up. With legendary referee Brian Hebner. An all new episode starts in... This, this is Reffing It Up. Welcome back to Reffing It Up with Brian Hebner. I am the man with the magical voice, RJ. He is the man in the stripes, Mr. Brian Hebner. Brian, what's up, man? What's going on, RJ? Another big episode, episode 16. Man, oh gosh, I swear, it keeps going by quicker and quicker and quicker. I just was thinking back today, 16 weeks, 16 weeks, minus the one uh, that, of course, that your, uh, your boy had a rough weekend. But, uh, yeah, man, going by quick. Good, t- good things, uh, you know, the good times roll and time goes by fast. But uh, with that being said, we got a big episode this week. I've been really looking forward to this. We're talking everything Christopher Daniels this week. Uh, we're actually going to be welcoming, welcoming him in in about, uh, well, about, about a half hour, 45 minutes, give or take. Uh, so stay tuned for that. He'll be joining us. Uh, but first, what I really wanted to talk about uh, is uh, going to be happening in our first count. So let's head up right now to that. <laughs> Brian, it's a big, big week coming up for uh, arguably the best wrestler of all time, Ric Flair. Uh, they moved uh, the venue because it, they, they just sold out. And I, I'm not surprised. I'm really not. They actually ended up moving it from the, Flare grounds, as they named it, to the Nashville Municipal Auditorium, um, which the auditorium now seats about 9,000 fans. So that son of a bitch is going to be sold out without question. Yeah, yeah. I'm hearing, um, you know, I don't, I don't keep up with it and don't know the ticket sales and all that stuff, obviously. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not Raphael, um, but, uh, I hear the lower bowl is, is, is gone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's probably a matter of, uh, I mean, shoot. You, we, we, so the actual show is on the 30th. 30, is that right? 31st, 31st, 31st. Because okay. What, what, what they're end up doing is I believe SummerSlam is that the 30th, that Saturday in Nashville. And then StarCast will be happening. Friend of the show, Conrad Thompson, is uh, running StarCast that whole time as well. And then Flair's last match is there on the 31st. Um, go StarCast.com. We, we, we'll, we'll, we'll promote it here because it's a great, great time. I've actually worked the one in Baltimore a few years back. So uh, go StarCast.com. Get all your blazes. Get your tickets. Or just go to Fight TV to get uh, the pay-per-view. But Man, that card's going to be phenomenal on top of everything else that's been going on. Man, have you heard any of these matches at all? Listen, hold on, listen. So you have the Motor City Machine Guns versus the Wolves. I mean, me on that. (laughs) I mean, jolly, golly, golly. That's just, uh, and and then I heard that uh, Josh Alexander was going to defend the belt. I think defend it, I guess. Yeah. Um, Against someone from MLW, I can't remember the name, and I apologize. I, we weren't trying to oh, cover was, this. Um, 
is uh 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 shoot this uh Samoan uh uh not Eki's um cousin um fat two not fat two I name escapes me at this time I'm looking it up now because this is gonna kill me that we're not uh well, Jacob fat, Jacob fat two there we go okay yeah uh keep in mind we weren't trying to cover this actually this is just on the fly here so <laughs> I just thought it was great, man, because uh, I'm really excited about it. And, you know, um, no matter what you think about the Flair thing, I mean, you got to remember this, man. Um, he's ultimately, at the end of the day, Ric Flair. And Ric Flair, if that's what he wants to do. And, I mean, you got to respect it, um, which I do. I just, you know, honestly, from my, my opinions before, not something I'm, you know, excited about for him as a just as a human being, but I'm excited about uh, because it's Ric Flair and, and good for him. And I hope, I really do, you know, hope and bless everything goes great. Um, but just moving that venue is just absolutely amazing. And it's, uh, you know, it's something else I've figured out, man, just, just thinking about that whole thing. Man, Nashville is a hotbed for wrestling, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, by far. But it, but it goes back to that old, the old territory days, man. You know how it is, especially when, when your dad was there in NWA too. It's just like, you get... The Jarrett's are huge that you talk anything in Tennessee. It's, you know, it, it, it's either the Jarrett's or Jerry, the King Lawler. Yeah. And, I mean, and, and they're bigger than Elvis. <laughs> I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the thing is like, so you have SummerSlam, you have Starcast, mm-hmm. uh, impact just did their 20th anniversary show. How many live events and and, and and Monday Night Rawls have there been and TVs? I mean, I know oh, personally, I've been to, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I know Nashville. Like, if I were to go there, somebody just dropped me off and said, here, boom, go. I know where the hell I'm going. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, man, it, it, that's a wrestling town, man. I just didn't really, really realize how really huge that that it really is. You know, I really consider, and I, I, I don't know if I'll get, you know, slack for this or whatnot, but I really think Nashville, Memphis – is the, you know, Madison Square Garden of the South. It could for, be. For a better use of the term, you know, you know what I mean? Because how big MSG was for uh, the WWE, WWF, whatever, up in the Northeast, that very, very well may could be that area where it's just wrestling is huge down there. That's what you did on a Friday, Saturday night. But you know, it's neither here nor there. Like I said, employ you guys to go over to StarCast.com. Check out their lineups. Check out. Uh, I, I know a lot. Some of the braces have uh, 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 have sold out. So check it out if you're going to be in the area. Also check out it on on pay per view, man, because it's going to be. It'll be inter- it'll, it'll be a good show. I guarantee you that. So top to bottom, the cards it looks definitely fantastic. But with that being said, I'm going to head over to this article that uh, came out last week. I sent it over to you. Uh, previous to the uh, recording here, Brian, but uh, everybody knows the whole uh, issues that have been going on with Vince McMahon. Uh, Just briefly, this is an ESPN article that came out on the 8th of July. Uh, So I'm going to briefly read this and I just want to get your thoughts on it. Uh, Headline is Vince McMahon paid a total of $12 million to four different women to keep quiet about sexual misconduct allegations. Uh, 
allegedly paid out $7.5 million to a former wrestler who claimed that McMahon coerced her into giving him oral sex, dem- uh, demoted her, then decided to renew, not to renew her contract in 2005 after she resisted further sexual encounters with him per the Wall Street Journal uh, report. The wrestler and her lawyer reportedly negotiated a non-disclosure agreement with McMahon in 2018. Uh, the journal report reported details a total of 12 million allegedly paid out to four women over uh, the last 16 years to quiet allegations for the 76 year old McMahon sexual misconduct. Uh, check it out ESPN. There's a whole article. I'm not going to go obviously go through the whole thing, but we talked about this briefly over messenger, uh, Brian, but dude screwed, man. Absolutely screwed. Well, well, let me let me just say this. I, you know, first of all, it, I, I guess reading and doing a little research on this just just because I care or don't care just depends on how you want to look at it. Right. Um, it, it's not illegally something in trouble wise, but um, but it's it, it's it's sick. I mean, to me, it's sick. And mm-hmm. um, I just feel like you know. Some people who have a lot of money think that they can do whatever they want and, and, and hush people up, but you can't hush them up forever. You can't hush them right. up forever. Um, and what we're finding out is that that is indeed the factual truth. Um, and not because I don't work at WWE, not because my father doesn't work at WWE, and not because obviously my uncle, who is not here anymore, doesn't work at WWE, um, WWF at the time. But I've seen so many people be thrown away like trash, be thrown away like animals in a cage. I've seen so many lives destroyed. So to me, and I'm just, I'm just saying it the way I feel. And that's, that's why you listen to my podcast, I guess. If you're a wrestling fan, you obviously know about the situation. Um, you know, Vince has fucked a lot of people his entire life. And some rightfully and some not. Um, so to me, I think what goes around comes around and I think it's time for him to get fucked. Um, and if that's the case, I will be mad because I feel like there's a good portion of my life, my father's life, my uncle's life where we've been fucked. And that may be not the case where people think and believe, but that's up to you. We all have opinions. They're just like assholes. So you know, but that's my opinion. I feel sorry for these people that, that, that are coming up with all this and all this could be, Hey, let's just say they're liars. I don't think so. I don't think they are. Um, you know, I just, I just think that this is wrong morally, just morally wrong. I think it's coming around on him and it's time for the, uh, fish to bite the hook. Yeah. It's, it's finally catching up to him. You know, like you said, and I just the other thing that really bugs me um, is for better use of, of terms, a lot of these people online, whoever they may be, wrestling fans, wrestling, quote unquote, experts, whomever are making these allegations as far as, oh, who are they going to be? Who are they? OK, this person got released here. This person got released there. Who gives a shit? Just let it go. It's going to come out eventually. Just don't just let it go. Let you know, let the chips fall where they may and go from there. 
these people of these women have already uh, uh, been hurt enough. Don't 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 continue it. It's plain and simple. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you know, you, you, you sit there all these years and you shut your mouth because you're paid to shut your mouth. Right. But he didn't want you to shut your mouth before. You know, so now he wants you to shut your mouth. And then you see him continue to make all these hundreds of millions and millions and millions of dollars. You don't think people get angry. You don't think that people go, fuck that dude. No way. Guess what? I've shut up long enough. Now it's time for me to talk because what can he do anyway? I already got his money. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You got to think about that. You got to think about the ramifications. And obviously he just thought that more money was going to shut him up, shut people up. And he was just going to walk on and stroll through life. And, you, you know, it's something else that just kind of gets under my crawl a little bit. You know, the, the first time that this all came out, what was the first thing he did? Went out on TV. He went on TV. Now, people have certain opinions on that. And I personally think it was a, y'all can kiss my ass. Everyone can say what you want. Fuck off. I'm the man. I'm going to live and do what I do. And I, this is my show and I'll do what I want. Well, I didn't see him on last week. Well, I didn't but see him they, on this week. But they also said, I, I believe, I don't know if it was Fightful or one of the uh, wrestling sites came out and reported that he said, going backstage, he said, oh, fuck him. Just like what you said. I totally That's, believe that. Yeah. I totally believe that. I work with the man. I have worked with that man. And I've seen him in some positions where I probably shouldn't have because where I was and what I was doing. Yeah. The man is a very intense guy. He doesn't like to lose at anything. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Do I believe these reports? 100 fucking percent. 100. Do I believe there's going to be more reports? Absolutely. I do. And guess what? He might get out of it because it is Vince McMahon and he's got a lot of money. But there's a lot of things that are going to be damaged on that way, on that path to where he could be freed. It's going to be a lot of things happen. You think you see a lot of uh, a lot of people turned away from the product now, going forward. The the product being the WWE product that is context. Well, here's where people get things muddled. The percentage of people that actually read dirt sheets and know what's going on that are wrestling fans is literally almost ten percent. Mm-hmm. It's not what you think. So if you put a building and you put 60,000 people in there, you're talking about 6,000 people know what's going on. That's not a lot. So, no, I don't think it's going to hurt the product because the product's carrying on just like nothing's ever going on. And that's probably the way they should. But I can just tell you, the amount of people that read the news like you and I do or that stay on top of things like this, because, you know, quite frankly, we kind of have a job to do that. Um, it, it's very small. Very small. Yeah, I, I, it's going to be interesting to see the uh, what comes out. Uh, uh, what comes out of all this, you know? I mean, and, and it's going to be. I, I I think this is just the start of it. You know, we saw the little bit of it earlier, and then we saw this. It's gonna. It's gonna take time. Well, it's called the. Uh, it's called the trickle down effect. Right. Um, it's kind of like, uh, um, what is his name? Good God. I always draw a blank when I'm trying to think of something. Uh, Deshaun <laughs> Watson. Yeah. I don't know. Deshaun Watson. All right. Well, he had four cases that when he first started, he ended up with 15. I mean, that's what happens. You open the door, 
and everyone's almost start walking through it. And it's going to continue to happen. I mean, I, and I can't say that for sure, but I can't see that Mr. Man only had a couple of them. And that was it. And that was, we're good to go. Uh, you know, that's, it's an addiction too. You know what I mean? And I'm not, you know, beating the guy up at all, basically. But what I'm saying is what he's done is morally wrong. Um, and there should be some justification for it. Right. Well, like I said, only time will tell with that. But until then, why don't we just head up to our second count of this episode? It is time for everything Christopher Daniels, Brian, a guy that's literally been everywhere. He's done it all. Uh, just to give a little brief history behind it before we welcome him in in a little bit. Uh, 1998, he was signed to a developmental contract with WWF at that time. He was sent to the training facility with Dory Funk Jr., the Funkin' Dojo. Uh, made his WWF debut January 19th, 1998, losing a dark match uh, to Mike Tierney. Uh, man, I, it, it's something that's sometimes overlooked because guys like AJ Styles, guys like Christopher Daniels, uh, the Young Bucks, uh, um, I'm, I'm missing one, Kaz, Kazarian had those early runs there. he did they did those spots earlier in their careers in wwf to kind of get their foots in the door you know christopher daniels is one of those guys man no he is um you know and, it, and it's awesome and good to their credit um and they do they do that frequently but the, you know back in that 1998 days they the guys you just mentioned every one of them did not fit the mold for what vincent man wanted back then and that was a big guy a huge guy the biggest guy he could find and the guys you just mentioned were not, but they were very, very ultra talented or they would have never been in that ring. Right. Well, and it, and it goes to show you too, that, you know, AJ's back in the company. He just signed a, a, a extension, you know, and I'm not saying completely out of the realm of possibilities. Kaz is doing a great thing wherever he, he puts on a show wherever he goes, as you know, uh, Daniels does the same thing, but it's just interesting to kind of get that context behind it. 2000. He was um, one of the, uh, Los, uh, Los Conquistadors you know, threw one of those masks on. He was a uh, uh, dose of the Conquistadors with uh, Aaron Aguilar, who ended up becoming part of the, uh, the company when Carlito came in. He was Carlito's uh, 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 bodyguard. So it's interesting to see a lot of this stuff kind of uh, comes around full circle. Uh, but then he goes up to... Uh, or we should say down to WCW for a tryout match in January of 2000. Uh, and it was interesting because the original idea that I saw for him in WCW was that he was going to portray kind of like a, a Vampiro's dark master. You know, you know and it, it's interesting to see that, especially in 2000, because Vampiro was getting pushed to the mountain. Uh, in WCW, but uh, time and time again, it would continue to get postponed and eventually they just gave up and ended up returning to independent scene. But um, it, it just, a lot of things that, you know, we wouldn't see until later on is the stuff with Daniels, man. It's just one of those talents that deserves to be on TV anywhere. Well, the most of the, 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 the it's, it's crazy to me, you know, doing this podcast, um, you know, we, we really go through these guys and it's just the amazing to me, the amount of body of work that these guys go through 
and the trials and tribulations that they have to endure um, to, to eventually make it and be something in this wrestling business. And it's just hats off, man, to somebody like Daniels and who just never quit and just kept working and churning and just trying to meet his goal and grab that brass ring, as one man would say. Um, just, um, I don't know, man, just it's amazing when just going doing these podcasts and going through this stuff and just seeing just what these guys go through to be where they got and, and what they are. And while we're actually covering them on a podcast. Right. Uh, so 2002, really starting to see his career rev up here. Um, early 2002, he uh, wrestled a triple threat match at Ring of Honor's first show uh, facing Lowkey and Brian, Brian Danielson. It goes to show you that a lot of all the talent that you see in nowadays, Impact, uh, T, or, uh, M, or, excuse me, Impact TNA, uh, WWE, NXT, AEW, wherever. A lot of those guys went through Ring of Honor or went through Impact or went through TNA. And it's, it, it, it's something that you were obviously a part of. And it's just so great to see a lot of these talents now, you know, flourishing so much. Yeah, I mean, you know, those, those companies earlier, you know, were, were more or less like the breeding ground for what they would eventually end up being. So, in other words, you know, you get a talent like Daniels in there or AJ Styles or some of the other aforementioned guys that you said. Yeah, they get in there and they become major stars in the programs with or, or I'm sorry, promotions such as Ring of Honor, Impact Wrestling and whatnot or TNA at the time. And what they did was they they were building their their, their draft stock. They were just building it up, building it up, and um, eventually it would be the breeding ground where they would finally go to the bigger federation, whether that be WCW back in the day or whether it be WWE, WWF. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, it's just kind of crazy to see how things just turn and spin and go and where they went. I mean, AJ's just a phenomenal story, and no pun intended, but really kind of pun intended. But uh, like kind of the same thing you know what i mean and um it's just it's just in a way when you work for the company that's the breeding ground it's kind of sad to see all these guys you know work with you for so many years and all of a sudden boom they're gone they go you know what i mean it's just but such is life man such is life yeah so like i said 2002 big year for him he ends up debuting in tna in 2002 as well uh, in July at their weekly pay-per-views that they're running at that time. They're running weekly pay-per-views, as you are no, aware of. Um, it was actually a six-way elimination match to determine the number one contender for the X Division Championship, um, where he would eventually be eliminated um, by low-key. Um, 2002, obviously, you're still up, up north with the WWE. With that being said, when was the first time that you – you know, you, Daniels really came, became on your radar as far as noticing him, whether it be you know, outside looking in or when you got in involved with TNA. It was obviously, you know, when I got involved with TNA. Um, but um, what's crazy is um, if you go back to, I don't even know, episode whatever maybe, but uh, where I talked about before I got into uh, where I was working TVs, meaning SmackDown or Raw or whatever, I was like the Sunday Night Heat guy. Well, there's a lot of guys you find out, or I have found out, through my years of running into people and changing promotions that when they started, 
I actually refereed their matches on Sunday Night Heat and don't remember them at all <laughs> because, you know, they weren't they weren't known commodities and I just didn't know who they were. You know what I mean? Um, but what's crazy is they do. You know, they're like, you were my first referee, you know, when, you, when I came to WWE. Um, and he was one of those. But unfortunately, I have a very foggy memory about that. And um, but anyway, yeah. So it was when I got to Impact when uh, we became, uh, you know, friends and knew each other. Now, do you remember it was uh, when Loki and Elix Skipper and Daniels formed Triple X? Were you part of the company then when they were running together, or was that before you? That that was that was just before me. But yes, um, I was actually a big fan of that. I like that. Um, yeah. Me personally, um, but yeah, uh, that was that was awesome. But it was it was before I got there. Do you think it was just a matter of? they were better they were better apart than they were together were they, they i think had, you just had well i think you just had too many talented guys in a stable i mean you yeah. had to let them let them let them do their own thing um then that happens a lot in wrestling sometimes you put some of the most talented two people together and you you want to see what they can do on their own some people are just built to be tag teams i mean you look at bubba and debob um not that either one of them did weren't great as individuals but I mean, their biggest, their, their, you know, their biggest thing they've done in their career were being a tag team. Mm-hmm. So some people can do it, some people can. I mean, you look at the Hardy Boys. I mean, the Hardy Boys had separate identities as far as their own single career. Sure. Jeff did very well on his own. Matt did very well on his own. Um, so some people can do it, some people can't. And I think the situation was where TNA said these are talented guys that can draw money by themselves. So let's, let's, let's let them have their own character. Let's let them have their own programs. Let's let them run. Sure. So January of the next year, he gets really thrusted into this, uh, this feud with AJ Styles into the X division championship uh, gauntlet. And even in the X division championship realm, uh, he had, he was a single time champion for TNA, but you know, he really did. He flourished in tag team wrestling and in then the X division. Do you think that was just you know the right place to put him, or do you think that he really deserved to have those shots against the heavyweight champion? I mean, I, I do. I think he did. Um, but I think at that time and where they were as a company, you know, you you you, you have to place somebody as talented to carry a, a, another belt. So I thought that basically. He was built perfectly to carry that X division, which meant a lot to that company, a lot. And sometimes that belt meant more than the world title uh, in some instances. Um, So I don't think that, and we'll ask him, we'll figure this out. But I mean, I don't think he found that as a spit in the face. I think that um, he felt that that was where he needed to go and what to do. So um, I just think that that was uh, where he needed to be placement wise. And that was, that's, that's just what it was. And I think it was best for him. Yeah. But I also think too, it's just because he works so well together. We saw him and Kaz, we saw him and AJ, we saw him with triple X too. And it's just, he works so well, he, he worked well with others. He really did. But when it really came down to it, when he, when they wanted him to have that single run, he could, he could work with the best of them. Oh, Daniels was very, Daniels was very, very talented. I mean, a talented guy. And should he have, or could he have been world champion? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, sure. 
So you know what? Let's welcome in the falling angel himself coming up next. All right, Brian, we have the man, the myth, the legend himself, the fallen angel, Christopher Daniels. Christopher, thanks for making us, uh, making the appearance here on Breffin' It Up with Brian Hebner. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me today. I appreciate it. And congratulations, Brian, on this new endeavor, this podcast. I hope it's uh, going well, and I hope I don't tank your ratings. <laughs> no, welcome to the show, first of all, and you're not going to do that. Stop it. Um, no, you're not at all. Um, it's, it's great. And thank you very much, man. Um, it feels pretty different for me to, uh, just kind of focus on this and not in the ring and focus on something out the ring. So it's pretty cool, but I'm enjoying it. And, um, so happy to have you on, man. Thanks bud. Thank you very much. You know, so, so we kind of gave a little context, um, Christopher about the, uh, you know, just your career leading up to what we're going to be talking about briefly, um, 2011-2012, uh, we went back and we talked about, you know, your earlier career there with um, your trials there with WWF, WCW, um, and which kind of led you to your TNA run. Did that kind of, you know, those, those experiences there kind of get you ready for, you know, that superstar that you really, you know, became in, in TNA? Um, I don't, I don't, I, I feel like the, the failures or not necessarily failures, but like the, the tryouts that never turned into jobs for WWF and WCW, uh, and even the ones that did turn into jobs, like the, the short period of time that I was under contract with WCW, I, I just think like, you know, those things happen for a reason. And, um, you know, I, I feel very fortunate that my career took the path that it did. I was very happy to be a part of tna uh in the early days and ring of honor i mean if i if i had signed with wwf uh in 2000 2001 or if i had if wcw hadn't closed in in 2001 and i was still under contract with them uh who knows where my path could have gone but i mean the fact that i was able to be a part of two different companies that were both coming up uh two different paths uh, two different talented locker rooms. And uh, I got the opportunity to wrestle with so many different wrestlers uh, coming up through the independence and into their first uh, television personas that uh, it was just a great experience overall. So, I mean, I've, I'm very fortunate that my career took the path that it did. And um, I certainly look back at, at all the, the TNA and the ROH uh, experiences as, as positive. So uh, CD, we, we were talking earlier, once again, before you were graciously accepted on our show for us. Uh, uh, something about doing podcasts, I've, 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 I've really become like really crazy, like can't understand and figure out. And so like mind boggled by, which I want to see what, what you say about this. Like I have all these notes that I go through and I look at for you to cover. And I see the path that you took to to be a player for a company and it's just mind boggling to me, like what you had to endure um, and, and what you never stopped doing, which was trying to be a professional wrestler. And it's amazing to me because you're not the only one with that story, but your path was a little different than some of the ones we've covered. And 
it's just amazing to me. Like, they're, they're like it's, it just seems like there's no quit you. There are, there's, there, I, I can't answer it for you. And my, my question to you is, so was there a certain point where you were just like, fuck this shit, I can't do it, or fuck this shit, they don't want me, or fuck, I can't catch a break, or, or was it just a more of a determined thing, like, fuck you, I'm going to make this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. I mean, like, where was it, was there a line, a drawing line? Where, where were you at through the, through the early days? I've got sheets sitting right here that starts like forever ago. And it's just like, golly, I, you know, I, I, I guess fortunately didn't have to go through all the stuff that you, you some of you guys have done. And so I, that's why I'm mind boggled. And I'm just wondering, like, in your humble opinion, like you explain the process to us. Okay. Well, I, there was never a point. There was never a point where I was like, fuck this, I give up. Um, and I was never really mad at the places. I, I guess I was a little mad at places that didn't hire me, especially WWF, um, when the time, uh, at the time. Um, but honestly, like every time that like a door sort of closed, I, I just went to, I went to a different path. I went to different places. And there was never a time when like my phone wasn't ringing. Um, you know, the, the times trying to get into WCW and WWF in the late 90s, um, they were surrounded by working pretty steadily on the independent scene. And at that point, uh, especially in 99, um, when I was going over to Japan, uh, I was making a decent living going over to Japan and doing independence. Um, and so, yeah, it would have been great if I was signed with WWF. And who knows what would have happened if I had been signed, if I was in, you know, what would have amounted to the developmental territories, whether it was Memphis or OVW, who knows what would have happened. But the truth of the matter is um, I was traveling pretty much every week. Uh, I was wrestling all over the United States. Uh, and then, you know, in 99, getting a chance to go overseas for the very first time and sort of building a reputation over there. Like all of that, I, I never really thought of like, oh, this isn't working out. I was like, oh, well, this path for me is working. And so I'm going to keep attempting at WWC or WWF and WCW. But at the same time, there's no lack of, of work for me on the independence and overseas. So I didn't have that mentality of like, oh, I'm, I'm failing, I'm failing. It was just like, okay, well, this is where I'm working. And um, so, yeah, I mean, like, I, I never thought of, oh, I'm giving up or, you know, if I don't get to this place or that place by a certain time, I'm burning the boots. I never had that mentality. Did you always know you were going to make it like in your mind? Is that what your, is that what your mind was thinking? Um, I, I don't know if I ever thought like in terms of making it versus not making it, I was just working. Like I, I, there was the, all, the goal was always to try and get over and get to a point where, you had the stability of a contract or the stability of a full-time job. But honestly, like even before TNA and, and ROH became like full-time promotions and not just like little independent stuff, like even before that, I was, I was working all the time. And so it was just a different, like the difference between working on the Indies in 98 and 99 and, and doing TNA every week in 2002, 2003 was literally just what airport am I flying to and where am I, you know, what building am I in? That was it. Other than that, it was the same. I was working all the time. I was working different people. I was getting that experience 
that was so important at that level of my career. And so, um, yeah, man, I, 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 like I said, I never really thought of, there was never really a mentality of like, oh, this isn't working because I was working. So it, it was just a matter of like a degree. Like I never thought, oh, you know, I finally made it. I was just working. And that was the mentality, the difference between working and not working as opposed to making it and not making. It. Yeah. Cause I, I ended up seeing your first year run there in ROH about 2002, 2003. I was actually living uh, outside of Buffalo. So I get a broadcast every Saturday afternoon. Um, just a huge, huge fan of what you were doing. Um, even with, with the American dragon with, with uh, Brian Danielson um, mm-hmm. seeing where, seeing where you guys ended up, your, your past kind of like kind of lined up <laughs> nicely this time. You know what I mean? Where you guys are kind of working same area. Have you, you know, worked with him behind the scenes a little bit now uh, that he's with AEW? Um, a little bit. Like I, I, I haven't really, I haven't really had a, an opportunity to do that much with him here at AEW just because, um, you know, he's, he's sort of been very busy. And, um, you know, the, the AEW, like the, the talent, especially guys at Brian's level, they're, they're talking directly to Tony a lot. And so I, I, uh, I deal with Brian, but I don't really interact with him in that way. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be around him in the locker room, but unless I'm, involved with the match that he's wrestling in terms of being an agent for him or, or helping out backstage for that. Um, I don't really get an opportunity to, to work with him in that respect. So AJ, I'm sorry, RJ, my bad. Real, real quick. I wanted to touch on this real quick because a lot of people ask me this too, and it's kind of an interesting question in my opinion. So when do you think in your career you started making – money that's kind of changed the way your life went? Um, a crazy question, right? Yeah, okay, say it again. So you're asking me, when did I start making money that changed my life? Well, that, that, that it became like, oh gosh, okay, this is, this is good money I'm making now. Now I can live a little differently. You know what I mean? Because I remember when I first got into the business, which I would assume would be the same as you, especially early in those days, I would think, I would think the money was decent maybe, but then as you got more experience and built your stock, people started to pay you more. So would be like, when do you think that not life changing, but like you were like, this is a career full time and I'm doing very well. Like what year do you think that would be? Or when was it? Um, well, it happened. I, I want to say, honestly, it happened a, di- a couple different times in my career. The first time that it happened wasn't a matter of the money as much as it was the, the okay, the first time something happened in terms of like a seismic change in my life was 1999. And um, when I moved to California in 96, um, I had a couple different jobs working at warehouses that were like full-time jobs to sort of supplement my weekend wrestling. And um, Around 98, 99, uh, I got a job with the Walt Disney, uh, a version, uh, a, a part of Walt Disney called Imagineering that deals with the theme parks. And uh, they create the theme parks, they design them, they build them, 
And um, and so I was working in the mailroom basically for the Walt Disney Imagineering in 1997, 1998. And um, in like, I want to say April or May of 1999, um, there was a month where I was only in the United States or that I was only at Walt Disney for four days out of the entire month. And the rest of the time I was on the road, I was on the road in the U S or I was overseas. Um, I think there was a tour of, of Puerto Rico that I did. There was a tour of Japan that I did. There was a, a, a weekend in the UK, like somewhere along that line. Um, I was working and, and the Walt Disney company was so cool about it. They were like, yeah, go ahead. Um, you know, we'll cover you for this day. We'll cover you for this weekend, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then one day I went to them and I said, Hey guys, um, this company in Japan has offered me a six week tour. Um, is it okay if I go do that? And they were like, look, man, we respect that you're, you're on the grind. We, we know that this is what you want to do. You're fully welcome to take that job, that tour. But if you do, we have to give your work. We have to find someone else to take your spot. And and that was the moment where I went from being a guy with a full-time job and wrestling on the weekends to earning my livelihood wrestling full-time. So I put my notice in. I said, thank you very much. And from that moment on, that was the last time I had a full-time job. So that was the first time that money sort of changed for me in the sense of, well, I'm doing well enough wrestling where I can pay my bills wrestling, um, pay my rent. Uh, all that stuff. And, uh, you know, the, the hustle was still there, but it wasn't like, it was, I was comfortable enough to say, Oh, well, you know what? I don't need to, I don't need to pick up boxes and deliver them anymore. Now I'm just wrestling. So, um, that was the first time it sort of changed for me. Uh, and then I would have to say the next time it changed was when I signed contracts uh, the first contract I signed was with TNA. And that was the first time that I had that stability, that mentality of like, oh, you've got a job. Like all the other independent stuff that I was doing throughout, it was supplementing, but like TNA was the job. And then for a short period of time, Ring of Honor was the job. So every time I signed a contract with a company like TNA or ROH, that sort of changed the mentality too. I didn't have to, hustle as hard to make ends meet because I had the stability of like the full-time contract. And then honestly, uh, the last time it changed for me was signing with AEW um, just because the amount of responsibility that I was given uh, it, it came with a large increase in pay for me. And so like the difference between what I was making in ring of honor at the end and what I'm making at AEW now, um, it, it's very sizable. And I'm very fortunate to have the position that I have now with, with AEW as uh, the, the VP of talent relations and, and the stuff I do behind the scenes. Um, so that has changed uh, a lot of, of my livelihood, that I, the fact that I'm making comfortable money with AEW. Cool, cool. I, I, maybe, maybe I did paraphrase I, I should have asked honestly when when was just working wrestler just no no just the weekend warrior gone and you just being financially different i, I get it no it's awesome and it's and see i like i like i like that story because who else would not know this right here about you i mean you know what i mean like 
that's amazing. I mean, it's awesome. And it just shows. Yeah, man, like, like I said, I'm very fortunate. Like I said, I, I, the, the things that didn't work out for me, um, they're few and far between, uh, in terms of the things that did work out for me, those things were more prevalent for me. I was very fortunate, uh, a lot of times. So I, I, I didn't have as many, uh, setbacks as, as a lot of people go through. So I'm, I was very fortunate, man. So, you know, when, when you got there with TNA, uh, I kind of shifted from ROH to TNA back over there in the two thousands, uh, between like yourself, AJ, uh, Kaz, you guys were really the face of that X division. You put that X division uh, on the map, you know, in the wrestling business. Um, you started this long feud with AJ. It, was it more of like a contra- contrasting, excuse me, minds of the wrestling business? Or was it just kind of like you guys helped each other out and just tried to do the best you guys could to get, uh, get that product over? Um, honestly, there wasn't a whole lot of contrast. Like AJ and I were very similar minded in terms of how we put matches together, uh, how we perceived wrestling and the, the match itself. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why we work so well together is that we, we sort of went into it with the idea of like, let's make the other guy look as good as we can and let's work together to make this as exciting, as memorable as it can be. There was never the mindset of like, Oh man, I'm going to, I'm going to step on this guy's throat and, and, you know, hamstring him and make him look bad so I can look good. There was never that, that mentality with, with me and AJ. And so, um, the first time I met AJ, I did a, uh, we did the 53rd anniversary for the NWA in Florida. And, um, uh, I met him there for the first time and we wrestled that night and we had a, a really decent match. And it was after that match that we started doing a lot of independence together and um, uh, maybe maybe one year later was when TNA had started and when we both sort of ended up there, we, we knew that if we had the opportunity to get in the ring together, we were going to do well. And it took a long time before he and I got in the ring together at TNA. There was uh, just different stuff happening um, with me and Triple and, uh, X doing the tag team stuff. And he was sort of off doing his own thing with the NWA and so it wasn't really, or the NWA world title. And so it wasn't really until we started filming in Orlando and Dusty Rhodes uh, became the booker. That was when we really got the opportunity to sort of hit the ground running with a full-time feud and a full-time rivalry that, that sort of, I don't want to say defined the X division, but certainly was one of the high points of that, of that division. So, so I'm going to, I want to, um, switch gears and not really but just move forward for a minute because there was a lot of history with you and him previous to this but this is where things got kind of in my opinion really good plus i was involved which makes it really good for me um you and aj had a match um in 2011 uh at destination x it was you and aj um in the impact zone um three and a Three-quarter star match. Not that you care, probably, uh, but people do. This match was almost 30 minutes long. And I want to touch on this match because I want to get some good shit from you to get to the match that I think was probably 
Um, I'm literally really going to say in my top 10 as far as the next match that followed a year later. So, okay. And I know that is, and I hope I'm not confusing you. I'm, I, I want to get to this match because it led to the false count anywhere match you had. And RJ's the guy why, why he's with me because he knows all the notes and stuff. I was surprised to know all that. It's probably because it's in front of me. Um, <laughs> just being honest. Um, but anyway, touch on that first before we get into the false count anywhere, which I thought was phenomenal. And, and RJ can tell people where to go because you've got to go watch this match. It was absolutely fucking off the chart and amazing. And there's so much stuff I want to talk about, but I want to talk about the lead up to that. Okay. Well, um, I, I talked to you about this before we started recording and I'll tell the, the, the listeners now. Um, when I first heard or first when you first approached me about doing this and you had said Destination X 2011, I thought you were talking about Destination X 2012. And so, I, yeah, and so um, when I realized that we were talking about two different matches, I went back and watched the Destination X 2011 match. And part of the reason there's a different vibe to that match for a, a, a real good reason. Um, I remember that was, that might've been the very first Destination X, or at least it was the first Destination X pay-per-view where they were like, hey guys, this whole pay-per-view is about the X division. This yep. whole pay-per-view is about this division that has been a, a cornerstone of TNA for, you know, at that point, nine years. And so um, I want to say like Abyss had the title at the point. He wrestled Brian Kendrick in the match directly before us. And um, at this point in 2011, AJ and I were on the same side. We were part of Fortune. And I remember the buildup. I vaguely remember the buildup to the ma this match being the idea like, hey, let's go out there and show them what two – honorable competitors can do and, and, and have a great match. You know what I mean? And yes. um, so there wasn't, there wasn't any heat between us. There wasn't like, cause we had already had the feud. We had had, uh, you know, the, the Ironman match back in the day. We had had all, all of the, we had traded the X division title back in the day, but in 2011, I had just come back from being fired um, a couple months before I was part of fortune with him and Kaz and beer money. And, um, and so, yeah, they were like, well, you know, this would be the main event, you know, the two best friends, these two guys that are, uh, you know, well, well known for their X division exploits, you know, both former X division champions, um, AJ and I had been tag team champions twice before that, you know, so the idea was, uh, Hey guys, let's just go out and have a, 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 a competitive match. Let made the best man win that sort of thing. And so when you start watching this match, um, Part of, the, part of the thing that AJ and I were really good at, I think, was changing, changing expectations. Like, people knew what our moves were. Um, and our job, what we, we took pride in doing, was doing sequences and doing stuff in the ring that played off of our past, but just, you know, uh, surprised people. Like, there's a couple times where um, AJ goes, like, one of his most famous early high spots in his matches is the uh, leapfrog drop down drop kick. You know what I mean? And there was a, po a point in that match where he goes for that 
And as I'm hitting the ropes, I just literally jump out of the ring. And the idea being like, hey, man, I know your best stuff. You're not going to catch me unawares because I know you. You know, I'm your best friend. We've been tag team partners. We've got history. You know what I mean? So there's a, there's a couple of sequences in that match where uh, we're playing a game of one-upmanship. Like, I know, I know your best stuff. You know my best stuff. What are we going to do? You know what I mean? Yep. And so um, we're wrestling this match, and uh, I, I told you this off the air. Like, I, I'm, not, I, I, I'm not disappointed in this match, but it's not our best match because and, – and this is probably the first time I've ever talked about this in public or, or in a public forum, but there's a point in the match where I get knocked stupid. And you were the referee, and I'm almost positive – you might remember this, but there's a moment where AJ does this move. It's basically a, a suplex that turns into a neck breaker. And the minute I hit the mat, I, I sort of remember this. I remember saying, where am I? What happened? What's next? And I, I, I could swear that I looked up at you and I was like, hey, where are we at? What happened? And... The next, uh, after the match was over, I, I talked to AJ and I was like, hey man, I, I think I got knocked stupid in there for a hot second. Like I finished the match, but if you look back at it, you could see near the very end, there are some clunky moments, some, some, you know, some not so smooth transitions. And part of that is because I'm, I, I wasn't quite sure where I was. And so that's, I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, you said, three and three quarter stars or whatever. Well, a lot of the flow at the end of that match sort of suffered because I was sort of a step behind what was going on. So uh, there's some, there's some stuff in there in that match that, that didn't go so well uh, for myself personally. And I, you know, there's no, no one to blame except myself. Like for whatever reason I got gunked, um, I finished the match. I probably shouldn't have in this day and age, you probably should should have stopped that match, but ten years ago, who knew? Um, so there, you know, there I was. I got gonked. I, I got. I was sort of loopy for a hot second. Finished the match, and um, if I recall, that was the beginning of sort of like the jealousy, the jealousy angle that we re, sort of retold with me and AJ. Like after that, I kept trying to get the rematch with AJ. He wouldn't do it, uh, and finally. This sort of led to uh, me turning heel, uh, me starting bad influence with Frankie, me doing the whole uh, Claire Lynch angle, which is famous for famous and infamous for many reasons. Um, yeah. And I think it all it all stems from that the finish of this match, you know. So real real quick, um, now that you said that, um, very very interesting because I actually now really do remember all this now. Um, I do remember okay. getting, I do. Um, and I also remember, um, and it's funny now it's all, it's very clear to me now, um, which is crazy to me. Maybe I got hit the head. Um, but I remember when that happened and I remember it being an awkward bump and going right to you right away. Um, did it, do you remember this? Cause this is what I don't remember. This is where I am. Do, do you remember if AJ covered you? I don't think he covered me at that point. I just recently rewatched the match for the first time. And honestly, I don't – the way my mind works now, I don't remember the match like I was in it. I remember it like I'm watching it on television. 
So like when I think of the match now, I'm thinking of what I've seen from the feed, from YouTube. That's how I'm remembering it. I don't remember it as like a participant. So like having just watched that, um, I want to say he gave me the bump. We rolled away and, and uh, there was that awkward moment because I think something else was supposed to happen that didn't. And then we just sort of, I, I want to say, and I don't even know if AJ knew this at the moment that I was sort of loopy. He might've just been like, what the hell's wrong with this guy? He's messing shit up or whatever. No, um, no, actually he did. He did. He did because I went over and iggied him and told him um, because you did look at me and say exactly what you said. I remember this now. Um, and I said, are you okay? And you said, I don't really quite know. And I said, all right, so what do you want me to do? You want to, what do you want to do? Are you okay to go? And you're like, yes, I'm fine to go. But what just happened? And I said, well, you took a bump and you were like, okay, well, where are we at? Now, when you said where are we at, I didn't mean, I didn't know that you meant where are we at, like in Orlando or where are we in fucking Florida or like right. Virginia. I thought yeah, you no. meant where, where are we at for the next move? So that's right. when I went to AJ. And he goes, oh. And so AJ thought, all right, he's a little banged up. Like, I don't think AJ thought you were as bad as you were. Like, I didn't either because you did a really good job of not telling me like that. But um, I went to AJ, <laughs> excuse me, and you know how I am. I chased you guys all around all day. And I remember what was next, but I was scared to tell you because what you're right, because what didn't happen next didn't happen. So – AJ gave me something on the fly, which I fed to you. And then that's when, like you said, I, I, I remember this now. I remember, I remember, I remember it being foggy for you. I do. I do. Now, now, yeah. now I feel bad. Now I feel bad. No, don't feel bad. I mean, this thing happens, man. And I mean, I'm sure it's happened to AJ in the past where, uh, you know, we're wrestling and, and, and he gets docked and, and for a hot second, someone has to sort of steer the boat. And I think that's what AJ did. And bless his heart, man. I mean, like the difficult part sometimes when that happens, it's not so much that like someone forgets. It's like you can't really comprehend what you're trying to do. And so like you can watch that match back. And there's a couple points that I watched it, you know, when I realized what match we were talking about and I rewatched it yesterday. There's a couple moments where I'm like, oh, well, that that's a mess up because I was trying to do this or something else, you know? So, I mean, I, it's happened to all of us at, at some point. And unfortunately it happened to me in the main event of a pay-per-view. And, and, you know, luckily I had a professional with AJ and a professional with you in the ring with me that helped me through and, and carry me out. You know what I mean? I don't think people will notice it as bad as you did. Trust me. Cause I actually watched the match again and, uh, it was quick, I have to admit, because I was trying to watch it before my son's game yesterday. And uh, I, I kind of was going through the motions of, like, not minute for minute, you know what I mean? Just going through. But, sure. but I wish – now you've made me really want to, like, go back and check this out again. But Well, that's it, the, the funny thing about it, and this is something that I tell wrestlers all the time, especially now at AEW, when I'm sort of coaching guys and, and they want criticism and what do you think, what do you think, like – we all go out there with, with grand plans. Absolutely. You know, like we, we all, uh, at this point in professional wrestling, you know, nine times out of 10, we, we go to the back, we think, Hey, what's the best way we can tell this story? What's the best match we can do? What's the best sequence? What's the best, what's the path 
And, and the only people that know that path top to bottom, 100% is the two wrestlers and the referee and maybe the referee, sometimes not even the referee. Sometimes the referee only knows, you know, the beginning and the end and that's it. Everything else he's just, you know, reacting and, and, and living in the moment. And so when things go awry, like the fans, unless you, unless you stop immediately and go, fuck, I fucked up, you know, no one knows. And that's, that's one of the things that I've, that I've sort of prided myself on too, is that if I mess something up in the ring, I do my very best to not make it look like I messed up and just continue to move on. And, and so like, the, like I say, the only people that know what we wanted to do the difference between what we wanted to do and what we did do, the only people that know that difference are me and AJ. And, and neither one of us care because as long as we're okay and the, as long as the match went well, that's all that matters in the end. And so I tell that to wrestlers all the time, like don't worry about things that get messed up or don't go as well as you think because the only people that know what you attempted versus what you, what you actually did is you. And, you know, if you hold on to that, you can go nuts. But if you just let that go and go to the next match, because you'll always, you know, you're nine times out of 10, you're always going to have the next match and you just go on and you don't make the same mistakes. And that's sort of the, the, the lesson that I try to tell guys is like, just don't make the same mistakes, but don't hold on to the mistakes and don't, don't let them fester. Don't let them turn into a big, you know, big things that sort of hang over you like the sort of Damocles. Don't let that, change like your mentality i agree so great you brought brought up the coaching with AEW. i wanted to ask you uh, cd is uh looking at the current roster with with AEW, and then looking at the rosters here in tna 2010 through pretty much 2013-14 do you see a lot of like comparisons between a lot of the boys and the girls then than you do now with the talent in AEW? Um, I, there's similarities in the sense, like there are a lot of people at AEW now that are enjoying their first sort of national spotlight. Like this is their introduction to the national spotlight. And we had a lot of those people in TNA as well, especially once we got onto Spike TV, like there were so many people that was their first sort of national, uh, their national recognition, their national uh, exposure. And so, you know, a lot of people from TNA came from the independents and, and, you know, plied their trade and got good. And then all of a sudden are on national television. And that's very similar to what's happening with AEW. Now, a lot of these guys, it's their first, you know, there's, there are some people that came up through TNA and came up through ring of honor, but there's also a lot of people that, came right from the independence and all of a sudden are on TNT Wednesday nights and, and, and TBS, you know what I mean? And so, yeah, that there's very similar, there's a lot of similarities in the sense that there's a very new uh, group of wrestlers that are being introduced to the wrestling fan base. All right. So the, the, the item of discussion that I really wanted to go over with you, because obviously once again, I was the referee was the, um, the false count anywhere match between you and AJ. Okay. Things were, things were very different from the 2011 because 2011, you guys were friends. And in 2012, you guys were not. 
and you had touched on a bunch of the reasons why storyline wise and all that stuff. Um, the, the one thing I wanted to say uh, about talking about this before you, because this is about you. Uh, but I wanted to say this, that I, you know, I had done many matches between and with, without you being working together between, you know, yourself and AJ. And um, I, I would think you would admit that I'm one of those guys that doesn't want to know the, the front end and the back end. I want to know the match. Um, but I remember this day very, very vividly. Um, and on a previous podcast that we did with AJ, I also touched on this. And I want to see if you remember this. And if you don't remember, it's fine. Just like you just made me remember something tonight. So it's okay. But I remember you being a very, very focused and intense guy that day. And not in a bad way. Um, I took it as you, this was this was a, a big match because there was a lot of things that, you know, that I'm going to let you touch on. But it was a big match for you that day. Uh, big match for AJ that day. AJ was also very intense. Um, but I, I just remember, and I don't want you to take this the wrong way at all. I, I just remember you being the guy that's like, I'll get with you when I want to get with you kind of thing. Meaning, not in a bad way. Like, and this happens all the time. And it happens with intense guys. So this is a good thing. This means you care about your craft. But I remember, because you, I, I don't remember having that moment with you before until this match where you were really focused in, I'm that guy, man. I, I, and I don't remember, I, I'm pretty sure you remember me being that guy where I'm just always around, always around. I go to the ring, I go wherever y'all are going. I, go, I just, I'm that guy. And I believe there were like final touches and stuff you guys were putting on and you just were ready to get that stuff down between you and AJ. And it was kind of like, a, all right, Brian, I'm not ready for you yet, but I will talk to you about this later kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Which is not, which is not bad. It's not bad. So I don't want you to think this is bad at all. This is just the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I remember this was a very big moment for you, in my opinion, because that's the way you were treating the situation. Right. Uh, and, and AJ was too, but just not quite as bad. You know what I mean? But sure. anyway, long story short, this was actually one of my favorite moments in my career. Um, and I'm just that. So that's why I don't want you to take this bad because I want to explain to the listeners and to anybody else, how really intense this match was for both of y'all and me as, as well to, to be able to be where y'all needed me to be because there were a lot of things that you guys wanted me to know specifics of because there were a lot of things that were going to go happening that were not normal in, at this point in time in the business and also very dangerous. So I'll sure. shut up. I'll, I'll shut up. And I just want to touch on that. And maybe that'll help you kind of explain to everybody where we were for you two at this point in time for that match. Okay. I, I think as you, as you mentioned this, I think the reason that I came across that way to you and um, I, I'm going to talk about the person that was in charge of being our agent for that match um, who was bully Ray. And um, I think one of the reasons was, and this happens very infrequently in my career. Like when when I have a match in my head, if I, I think what's the best finish for this match in my head, and I had thought of a finish for this match and I presented it to bully Ray and bully Ray disagreed with it. And so for a long time of that day, I think that there was a period where I was trying to convince him that I was right. 
And he was trying to convince me that he was right. And, and like I said, this happened very infrequently in my career, but in the end, I relented to him. Like most times I would have thought I would have dug my heels and, um, you know, for better or worse, like a lot of times I think like my way is the right way. And, um, you know, I, I like to think that most of the time my way is right. And, and I, 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 my matches sort of prove that I'm right, I guess. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. that's, that, that sounds arrogant as hell, but like, like no, in no, my I, head, I'm like, okay, this is, this is what I think is the best way to do this. And, and I, I remember specifically Bubba was like, nope, this is why that doesn't work. And finally there was a moment in the day where I sort of stepped back and went, you know what? He's right. And I'm wrong. So shut up CD and will think of a different way to get there now. And then finally, I think once, once I sort of got in my head that Bubba was right and I was wrong, I think it was a little bit easier because then we came up with what we came up with. And, um, I've watched that match back. This, now, this match was a last man standing match, um, it, the Destination X 2012. And honestly, it's I feel like it's uh, it's probably one of the one of the few matches that went exactly how I wanted it to go. Once we figured out what we wanted to do, everything went exactly the way we wanted it to go. And, and I feel like, um, you know, watching it back, I'm like, oh, that went really well. You know, I was real happy with it. So I, I feel like maybe that that mentality of us, hey, Brian, we're not ready for you yet. It might have been because I was arguing with Bubba for a good period of the day. Like, hey, no, I'm right. No, I'm right. No, I'm right. You know what I mean? And and um, I'm just I'm sort of glad that I sort of relented on that because, you know, Bubba's probably one of the smartest guys in professional wrestling. He came up under Paul Heyman and, 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 uh, you know, he, he was under the learning tree of a lot of great wrestling minds. And I think he's also got a great wrestling mind. And, um, you know, in the end, I feel like his, what he, what he told me that night and what he thought about how this match should go, he was, he was right. And I, uh, you know, and, and, and that match benefited from him being uh, a part of it as well. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I mean, I guess that explains that. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, um, uh, if, if it came across as like, Hey, get out of here, kid or whatever, you know, obviously I didn't mean it that way. And I, you know, you and I have worked together for so long that, uh, I, I feel like, you know, Oh, you know, that's not how CD usually is. Something's going on. And then we figured it out afterwards. So not, not, not at all. I mean, my, 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 seriously, my thoughts were that this was, I, and maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong, but my thoughts were at the time, and I am wrong, I guess, because you just explained it. But my thoughts were there was a lot of big stuff going on. There was, um, you know, a lot of story led to this this match, and it was it was the it was the draw of the pay per view, obviously. And I thought that you know at that moment you wanted to get all your shit together and didn't want me to to be around until all your shit was together is the way I took it. Because a lot of guys that work in tents are like that. Kurt Angle is one of those guys. Kurt Angle is one of those guys where I just go up to him and he's like, Hey, 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 be Hebs. Not yet, buddy. I I, I swear to you, I'm going to get with you. And I'm like, okay. Right. But, but, but but he loves me when I'm around, but he wants to wait till it's time for him. You know what I mean? So. And and part of that too, I think, 
part of that too, I think is it's hard. Like when we're still sort of in a, a, a fluid state, like when stuff isn't set in stone, it's hard to get everybody involved and then start changing. And, that, and that's when confusion starts happening. Like if you were around when we were still sort of kicking things around and trying to figure out the best way, then you might've thought, Oh, well, this is the direction they're going. Or you might've remembered something that we decided to cut or decide to change. You know what I mean? And so it's yeah. easier to not get you involved until we've got a finished product and we say, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is where you need to be. This is what you need to see. This is what you don't need to see. And anything before that is just a waste of your time. You know what I mean? And I know, like, I know that you guys, the referees, uh, nine times out of 10, you, you don't have more, you have more than one match. You've got a lot of different responsibilities. And for us as wrestlers, like a lot of times that doesn't even compute. Like all we know is what we're doing, what we're dealing with. And I, I, I tip my hat to every referee that I've ever worked with, because I know that you guys very rarely only have one thing to do in a day. You probably have 10, 10 different things, three to four different matches, three to four different finishes, all of the ins and outs of every match that you got to be a part of, you know what I mean? And I know it's a hard job, but like, we don't, I guarantee the wrestlers don't ever think of it from your point of view because we just don't have that, that frame of reference. Like you guys that are doing three or four matches in a night, uh, you know, 20 minutes at a time, 30 minutes at a time, who knows? You guys have got a different, a different genre of work and it's, it's difficult as hell. And I, I tip my hat to all of you that do it well, man. It's a, it's a, it's a skill, man. Well, well, CD, just it was either follow you around, you and AJ around, or go with my dad around Orlando stealing the ketchup, the the the, uh, the free napkins and forks, and also we could go back to our room and eat uh, whatever the fuck he packed and all that shit. So my choice is, <laughs> uh, I'd rather have been following you guys. I hear you. <laughs> just, <laughs> Fair enough. So so let's 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 dive in, man. Um, RJ, go. So. Brian brought up the excuse me the uh, 2012 uh, match here with you and AJ. Uh, did that kind of culminate? Did you guys know that if you guys wanted to go forward with this, or was this kind of like, hey, this is it for now kind of thing with him? Uh, you know, I don't remember 100%. Like, it was weird. There were – TNA always knew that if they, if they wanted to have a match that was going to – you know, get good response, good, uh, you know, good feedback from the fans, whatever, they could put me and AJ in the ring. And so, like, there'd be periods of times where we wouldn't have anything to do with each other for a couple months, and then all of a sudden, hey, we're going to have you and AJ wrestle again. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And, I mean, they did it a couple different times at TNA. You can see periods where, uh, you know, we're not, we don't have anything to do with each other for three months, and then all of a sudden, uh, next week on Impact, Christopher Daniels versus AJ Styles. And so, you know, we were just used to it. And that was part of the game, like I said, was us trying to figure out different things to do because at that point, especially the Impact Zone, the fans that were Impact Zone uh, originals, like those people that came week after week, like they had seen AJ and I wrestle probably 30 different times in, in 30 different uh, you know, singles matches, tag matches, three-way matches with Joe, three-way matches with 
you know, other, other folk, you know what I mean? And so like, that was the challenge was always trying to figure out different ways and different, different sequences to sort of surprise them. And, and, you know, the worst thing is when people know exactly what's happening, what's, what's going to happen and they can predict everything. And so AJ and I were, were always like, how can we sort of surprise them here or, or fool them, you know, take them, make them think we're going left and then go right. That sort of thing. Yeah. Cause another, another guy, and I, and I thoroughly enjoyed this, this comparison between uh, the 2011, 2012. Um, but just the chemistry that you guys had, it, you didn't really to, to comparison with anything else. The only thing I can really compare it to I don't know if compares a good word is with you and uh, with Frankie, whether it would be with a tag team or facing each other or, or whatnot. Um, talk about you know, that, that teaming up with Frankie after this too. Um, okay. Well, the, the team with Frankie came about for, there were a couple different circumstances that happened in TNA that sort of led to us becoming that influence and becoming this team that lasted for, you know, more than 10 years. Um, uh, my recollection of the period of time was that beer money had split up and the motor city machine guns weren't around. And I can't remember if it was injury or what the deal was, but I know like Bobby and James had split up. Uh, Bobby had turned heel and James, you know, remained a baby face. And for whatever reason, maybe Alex Shelley was injured uh, or maybe it was one of the times, like I know Chris Saban had ACL issues, but either way, like two of the top tag teams of the company were gone. And I thought, okay, well, there's not doing, they're not doing anything with me as a singles right now. They're not doing anything with Frankie as a singles right now. He and I, you know, we had been friends for, you know, a decade at that point. And we traveled together. We we're both LA guys. So we were always on the same flights. We shared a car. Uh, you know, we did live events. We rode together. We drove together the whole nine yards. And so, we pretty much were already a tag team before we started tag team. And, um, and so we got together and was like, you know what, maybe you and I should team because there's a spot open right now for a, a real tag team, like a tag team that stays together, not two singles guys that are, are together for a short period of time. Um, let's, let's be a team. And so, um, and, and the, the thing of that AJ and I and that Frankie and I all, always had, like, because we always hung around, we all thought very similarly in the sense of, like, how to build matches, how, how to get the most out of certain situations. And so when Frankie and I got together, we started thinking, like, well, what can we do as a team? What, what sort of tag moves can we do? What sort of thing can we do? And, and traveling together, it was easy to sort of put that together because – we were already close enough where we were, you know, basically finishing each other's sentences and, and, and um, you know, already sort of answering questions that we bring up. We would answer them right away because we, we sort of were already thinking in that same uh, direction. So, I mean, that was um, that was one of the reasons why I felt like we had success rather quickly as bad influence was because we sort of we did the homework. We did all the legwork in the decade previous where we were, you know, basically just best friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because so, so. Whether, whether you were with, especially with tag team, whether it was you and Frankie, whether it was you and, and part of um, 
Triple uh, X, or even when you were overseas with uh, with Brian, like I mentioned before, with uh, New Japan, it just tag team was like your thing and thing. Same thing with the X division. Did you mindset? Did you kind of just feel more comfortable with that? Uh, the X division and the tag team, or did you like, Hey, I really want to get this, the shot at the, the heavyweight gold. Um, I honestly, I, I think that every wrestler that's worth their salt should be able to do either one, whether it's a singles or a tag. And I mean, different different circumstances are going to come to every wrestler at, at some point in their career like storylines are going to change injuries are going to change you know change directions um you know anything can happen and so i tried to just be prepared to do anything that was put in front of me and so for the period of time where i was a singles guy i focused on that and then whenever i was involved with a tag team i my mentality was always like what's the best way to feature the both of us you know um you know, what tag moves can we do? What, uh, what gear can we have? That sort of thing. What, can, what makes us look as much like a unit as possible so that people could sort of get on that bandwagon? And so when I was tagging with AJ, we had that same mentality. When I was tagging with Brian that short period of time in New Japan, when I started tagging with Frankie, these were all, uh, you know, the idea at that point was like, well, this is what I'm going to put my efforts into. How do I make this team work? And, and that was something that Frankie was great at as well. Like he was always thinking of uh, names of moves and different maneuvers. And, you know, I do this and you do that. What if we did them at the same time? Or what if I did this? And it led to you doing that, that sort of thing. And I mean, that was one of the reasons I think that we got um, as popular as we did, even being villains in that period of time that we were bad influence. I feel like we were one of the most entertaining parts of TNA at that period. And um, yeah, and I think the fans sort of like bought into it and really dug it. So, so I'm going to say this. So, and I'm not saying this because you're just on the show. All right. So I'm going to, I'm, I'm just really going to say this because this is my true, honest, 100%. Honestly, if you don't blame me, that's up to you, but I'm just being honest. I don't think you think I would lie to you, but I think when you and Frankie were together as a tag team, in that era, so y'all are better years than me. So, CD, the, the, not the 10 year, but when you guys were wearing the, when you were wearing the, uh, the, the, um, the leader stuff, um, oh man. Oh, the ring general uh, stuff? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So, so roughly what year was that? Um, uh, 2000. 13 2013 2014 okay okay 12 13 and 14 was when we were bad influence in tna and we were sort of in our stride that period okay that that's what i was talking about all right i'm gonna be honest i was the most entertained dude by y'all's act i actually it was all right all right so i have to explain this and, and cd you'll be able to help me out here to explain further but like we would do live events, okay? They were great on TV. They were great on TV, but that was just a small portion of what you really saw when we went to a live event. These guys would come to the ring, and their music was fucking fantastic for their gig. It was fantastic. Um, I, I absolutely loved it. You need to go back and listen to that. I'm telling you right now, it's fantastic. CDs, his, his dancing skills 
were awesome. Uh, Frankie, not so much, but Frankie just went with the flow. <laughs> uh, and um, they went out and basically there was like a, and if, if I'm exaggerating, tell me, I would say there was probably an eight to 10 minute promo before we had a match, but it was the best eight to 10 minute promo. I was the referee for a lot of these, a lot of these. And I would just, I would lose my shit. I would lose my shit. I completely went out of character as a referee. I completely just lost my mind. I had to turn around, put my back to the crowd if I could anywhere. Um, it was just the most incredible thing that you've ever seen in your life. But what transpired in that ring was amazing to me because, and CD, you, 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 you'll have the floor here in a minute. They would turn them baby faces to where they loved them because what they were doing was so cool. And then, of course, they would cut their throats and CD would get up on the top rope and start cutting this scat. I mean, just this most incredible promo and just make every person in that building and even me sometimes feel like the biggest piece of shit that ever walked through the door of that arena. It was incredible. And that was them. And then you'd have your, whoever it was, Motor City Machine Guns come down and they would just have this most magnificent fucking electrifying match. And it was so good. It was so, so good. And I'll maybe, maybe I should wait, but, and then there's this other character that my son and you've met Trevor, um, used to love, and I don't know if you can talk about him, but, or if you even know him, but it was this curry man guy. And hmm. so to me, there's been a lot of entertaining things, man, in my life for me personally and my family that you've done that I'm, I'm, I'm going to just sit here and say, man, you've done so wonderfully well. And it's been awesome like to just watch and see, man. And I'm being 100% honest. I mean, and if people don't know what I'm talking about, you've got to go back and look at some of this stuff. All right, CD. So you tell me and touch on that tag team thing. Cause I'm telling you right now, it was, it was absolutely fucking amazing. I would pay tickets to watch that shit. I swear. Well, I, well, first of all, thanks for all the kind words. Um, and, and, um, I will say this, one of the best parts of TNA at that point in that period of time for us was the live events because, um, you know, like you said, we would do a little bit on television and, you know, you're, you're always constrained by time and commercials, et cetera. And on the live events, you didn't have that constraint. You just went out there and you tried to be as entertaining as you could and try to have fun. And so that period of time where Frankie and I were bad influence on, on the live events, um, it was just a chance for us to do anything and everything we wanted to try to get a reaction from the fans, whether it was cheering because our, we were so ridiculous or laughing because we would say something funny or booing because we would turn it around and throw it back in the face of the fans. Like we just wanted to get a good reaction. And I felt like that was the way to sort of get people entertained and, 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 and entranced by what we were doing. And so like we would go out there, we would do our entrance. Um, I strutted like a nitwit as long as I could. Um, <laughs> and then like, the, the promos from me and Frankie, it literally was just, you know, let's go out there and, and take as long as we want to get them to boo us, get us, get them to hate us, get them to laugh, whatever. And then, you know, like you said, and then the, the baby faces would come, they would either beat us up or they would almost beat us before we stole it from them and, and, and run off like dogs. But, um, like that was to us, that was the job. That was the, the, get them hating us enough, get them 
loving the baby faces enough to to want to see them beat the shit out of us. And and that was the fun of it all, man. Just going out there and saying the most ridiculous stuff and and you know quoting Rod Stewart and and, and uh, you know our our ring music was a, a a version of "Do You Think I'm Sexy" by Rod Stewart. It popped you and your dad um, to no end. Like every time we would come out there, half the time you guys would be covering your face, laughing with the turnbuckles. So I thought that was that was a lot of the a lot of the fun was just trying to get you guys to break. And if you if we could break you guys after everything you had seen in your lives, we figured we had the crowd, you know? So that was, that was part of the fun. And then to touch a little bit on Curry, man, too, that was sort of that same mentality. Like what can, what can I do? That's going to be entertaining. That's going to be different from the match before me, before the, the match after me. And that was, that was basically the whole mentality of Curry, man, too. Like once the bell rang, it was just me wrestling like it was like there was no difference between curry man wrestling and me wrestling other than the moves. I mean, I, I run the same way. I bump the same way. I hit the ropes the same way, but I mean, the mentality of curry man was just to go out and have fun and, and get smiles on people's faces. And so that was the whole mentality of dancing to the ring and pretending that uh, I was spicy and like, I burned people's tongues when they bit me or whatever, that sort of silliness. Like all of that stuff was just, what can I do that's going to be different, that's going to stand out, that's going to get people to go, oh man, we just came from the TNA show. Do you know what I remember the most? It was Curry Man or it was Bad Influence or it was Christopher Daniels. What, that, was what, that was what our goals were, was, was to get people talking about us after they've seen the entire circus what part of the what part of the circus did they enjoy? Well, hopefully it was me and Frankie or Curry Man or whatever. Well, brother, here, here's what I want to say, man, and um, I, I'm I'm just being dead honest. I'm, so you did pop me and my dad. You did make me and my dad come out of <laughs> and you did it every, every fucking time, and um, it like it never got old. And y'all never had the same promo either, so it was never the same. Um, and you know, those, those were some, you're right. Those, those, those days were awesome. And it was like me and him were fighting over who was going to have the match. I mean, honestly. Right. Um, uh. And then the, 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 the Curry man thing. Now that was partially, well, pretty much mo pre my TNA days. Um, right. But uh, I knew where I was going. I was working on things before I got there, but they got rid of the Curry man, which I was sucked. But anyway, so, a little story on this, um, and, and you may care or not, but uh, I just want to know your entertainment value as far as the stuff goes. But, you know, my son and I used to bowl um, every Tuesday night, and I would take him, and I would his mama would have to pick him up because I would stay out late, you know, later, later, um, you know, drinking with the boys and playing bowling, seriously. And um, when everybody got a strike, it, 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 it went through all of my friends, all through the entire bowling alley that I went to. Now, it's only – I think it's like 23 lanes, which is not huge, you know. Um, but anytime anybody got a strike, they would do the the, the curry man. The, the, they would do the gimmick. Ah. It was <laughs> absolutely – I swear. It was just amazing. And um, so, I mean, like, I, I just wanted you to know that the, the shit you did and the shit you tried to entertain with was, was awesome, and you did a great job of it. And then I want to flip it to this. And I've also seen you be a serious wrestler. And I've also seen you have serious storylines. And I've also seen you do intense matches. And, um, you know, you're, hats off to you that it's, you know, you can do it all. And that's a, 
that's awesome, man. I mean, it really is because there's not many guys that can do that kind of stuff. And I, and I know you think that maybe there is because the, the world of wrestling has changed and we know that. Um, but you, you, you find me that the, the, you find me and mention some names of guys who can do, do that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying you can't, what I'm saying is you're not going to find a large scale of people. You're not, you know, you're not going to pull up a basket of fucking crabs and there's a bunch of them in it. Um, sure. Sure. And the last thing I'll say, and then I'll be quiet. I'll let RJ and you talk or whatever it may be. But what I know and my respect for D'Lo Brown is maybe more than anybody else's. I don't know if you like him or not. That's up to you. Um, but when he was on our live events and I didn't have your match, he would pull me to the side and he would say, I want you to watch this. And I go, what are you talking about? Not knowing what he's talking about. He goes, I want you to watch how the crowd is in the palm of a hand for however long they talk until the bell starts. And basically, after that, they're not sure what to do because they've already been entertained. They've already gotten their nut. He goes, those motherfuckers know how to fucking entertain and have the people in their hands. And Dilo's big into that. Big into sure. that. Sure. And that was a huge compliment, in my opinion, for someone like Dilo Brown to say, who's done that his entire career. He knows how to right. make these people eat up a bowl with a spoon and throw it in their face if they want to after that. And you guys yeah. did that. And Delo's the one that made me make like, like really, like really appreciate and pay attention to like what you guys were doing at that time. It was, it, it was just amazing, man. And people have to go back and watch the shit. Oh, thanks man. And uh, it's nice to know that Delo felt the same way about it, man. I, I respect Delo and I love Delo. He's a good brother. Um, so, I mean, it's cool to know that, that he felt that way about our stuff. Um, you were talking about like, I think it's incumbent on every wrestler to sort of get that sort of variety in their toolbox. Like, yeah, I think we all start, we all start as professional wrestlers and we all, you know, we all want to be world champions. We all want to be that serious wrestler. We all want to be Bret Hart, you know, the best there is, the best there was, et cetera, you know, and it was very hard for me in the very beginning when I was doing Curry Man to sort of relax and not be, you know, it was just like when I first started doing the Curry Man thing in Japan, it literally was just Christopher Daniels in a mask, you know, and I finally sort of let go and was like, hey, man, why are you being so serious? Relax, have fun. And that was what opened my eyes to the idea of entertainment versus work rate, you know, was, was doing the Curry Man thing. Like, yeah, I could go out there and wrestle and, you know, trade holds and do high spots, et cetera, et cetera. But I also realized that, you know, that wasn't what everybody, that wasn't what everybody came to the building for. You know, some people do. A lot of wrestling fans are all into that. and They're into star ratings and, oh, you know, this guy has the best reversal out of this sort of match, blah, blah, or this sort of move, blah, blah, blah. But some people just want to forget their problems. Some people just buy a ticket. They just want to see the good guys win and the bad guys lose. They want to laugh. They want to cheer. They want to boo. And and when I first started doing Curry Man and sort of got the mentality in my head, like, hey, man, you don't need to be so dour, so serious, man. Just go out and have fun. And that sort of opened my eyes um, to, to sort of – it sort of changed my mentality of the way I sort of approached wrestling. And then when I started doing the Curry Man thing in TNA, um, I had the benefit of being able to get on the microphone as Curry Man and, and sort of add that because I didn't have that in Japan. All I did was 
you know, all I did, there wasn't like television wrestling in Japan at that point, especially for the companies I was working for. It was just the wrestling. And so I would show up, I would wrestle my match. People would be entertained. That was that. But I mean, TNA, I got an opportunity to do, you know, promos with Shark Boy and promos with Eric Young as Super Eric and, and, and doing all the stuff that I did, especially with the knockouts where I thought I was this crazy ladies man and, and doing stuff with Angelina Love and Velvet Sky and, and Christy Hemi, like, those were so much fun. It was so, it was so different. And, and, and that was what people wanted to see. Like, yeah, they wanted to see Kurt Angle wrestle for the world title, but they also wanted to see, Oh, was Curry man going to get the girl was Curry man, you know, this, this ladies man, like he thinks, or is he just a big buffoon, you know? And that was, that was part of the, the allure of Curry man was like, he was a, he was a, he was a dessert when, when after the, after the steak and, and, and potatoes and all like that, he was like, a little bit of fluff, a little bit of sugar to sort of, you know, sweeten the taste of it all. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. So to kind of steer this, you know, towards, you know, current day and we'll, we'll close shop here in a little bit, but uh, I, I'd be remiss. Um, my son would kick my ass if uh, I didn't bring this up is because when I first introduced my son to AEW, you guys, you and Frankie and Scorpio were doing SCU. And he would run around the house in SCU. And this is the worst town ever. Uh-huh. And I, it goes to show you that it's just like you reinvent your time and time again. Forming that, obviously you had the chemistry like we've mentioned before previous with you and Frankie. When did you guys really think about, okay, let's make this a trio. Let's bring Scorpio in. Or was there really anybody else to, to think about bringing into a trio like that? Um, honestly, at that point in Ring of Honor, Frankie and I had had done a couple of different trios. Um, when we turned heel in Ring of Honor in 2015, I want to say, um, we brought Chris Saban in. We did an angle where we turned heel and Chris Saban was our third member for a short period of time. But um, he dealt with injuries uh, for a lot of that time. And then the booking decided to put him and Alex back together as the guns in ring of honor. And so after that, um, we, we did a thing with uh, Hiromu Takahashi who wrestled as Kamatachi in ring of honor. That was where he did his excursion before he sort of graduated uh, into the, the time bomb character that he's doing now at, in new Japan. So he was like our third guy. Um, and so once, once Hiromu left, um, Sky had done a couple of, of like dark matches and, and things for uh, Ring of Honor. And he and Frankie were very close. They had been friends for a long time. They had feuded in PWG. Like I, I knew Sky, but I wasn't as close to Sky as Frankie was. But I remember in Ring of Honor, there was a period of time, there was a match where uh, the Young Bucks – uh, the guys in the Bullet Club, the Young Bucks, I want to say maybe Cody and Marty Skrull, they did a four-on-four, uh, four four and Sky was one of the guys. And at the end of the match, Nick Jackson got on the mic, and he said, you know what? Um, he, he was trying to put all the other guys in the match over, and he specifically said, let's Scorpio Sky. This guy should be signed. This guy's the real deal. This guy's great. And I remember that day, I realized, I was like, oh, he's a perfect third guy for us. So I went to the booker at Ring of Honor at that point, and I said, hey, let's have Scorpio be our third guy. And so that, that year uh, at the final battle, um, we, 
did a run-in at the end of the six-man tag match uh, for the six-man tag titles. And that was the first sort of debut for us. Um, this was all pre-SCU. This was before we were called SCU. Um, but that was the, the debut of the three of us as a trio. And um, at that same time, we were doing being the elite with the Young Bucks. We were on their show because we were hanging with the Bucks and hanging with the Bullet Club guys in Ring of Honor. And so we were on this YouTube show, and um, I believe, I want to say it was Matt Jackson. Matt or Nick came up with the idea of, like, you guys you guys love uh, California so much, you should just bury every town that you're in. And at first, like, we would do these bits, and at first, Scorpio was like, ah, oh, this is the worst town I've ever been in, and we would bury it, blah, blah, blah. And then slowly but surely... <laughs> we started to realize that fans were starting to get on that. And so then it turned into Scorpio doing the full on, this is the worst town, et cetera, et cetera. And I want to say within a year, it turned us babyface, And, and that, uh, you know, traveling with, with sky and Frankie and sort of, uh, the, the three of us together traveling, doing the roads, running the roads for ring of honor. That was where we sort of got that, that chemistry down and um you know and it, it it ended up turning us baby face and that sort of led to what scu became at the end of ring of honor and the beginning of, of aew so cd uh real quick um i hope i'm hoping you have the right answer so okay do you know how many total championships you won in your career Oh Lord. Um, no, I mean, I, I, I could get online and sort of count them down if you want. I want to say maybe, I don't know, 35, 36. It's probably up there. Cause there was, there was a period of time where they kept putting the tag titles on us in TNA, the NWA belts and, uh, et cetera. So. Well, you have four reigns as the exhibition champion. Is that right? Um, actually, no. Well, it depends. They count. They count one of the times I was suicide, although I was in suicide. They oh no! I'm talking about times as that. All right. No, I'm, I'm talking about as Christopher Daniels. Just you. Yeah, I only had it three times as Christopher Daniels. Wow. I, yeah, only three times. One of them, one of those times they count only. suicide. Yeah, only. Only. <laughs> yeah. Right. Jeez. All right. What a modest yeah, name. <laughs> So uh, the last thing I want to ask you, um, and and then we can do whatever you want. Um, but uh, so I, I know you and Frankie talk all the time, and I just wanted you to know this because I know you can't keep up with everything because you're a busy dude, and I get it. Um, my last pay-per-view, which was the 20th year anniversary for Impact Wrestling in Nashville, um, I was uh, – obviously, you know, I think so much of you and, and, and Frankie and – and to your listeners out there, I'm talking about Kazarian. Um, I did not know this, but um, he texted me the morning after the pay-per-view because I had agreed to do the next TV tapings because they asked me if I wanted to do the pay-per-view and that'd be it. And I said, well, you know, I'm already there. Um, hey, might as well pick up another fucking payday. Uh, and yeah. uh, B, uh, might as well go ahead and just go ahead and do it. That's fine. So um, I get to the arena, and um, we're going over the meeting, and I've, I've got the ref assignments all put in. And before I get to the meeting, though, Frankie calls or actually texts me. He says, hey, brother, um, 
I, I requested you to be my referee. And I said, well, you don't have to request it. All you got to do is tell me. I make the fucking ref assignments. He says, okay, well, I, I want you to do my match. And I said, well, absolutely. And it was him and Saban, which right. fucking wow. Anyway, yeah. Um, enough said. So um, I get to the arena and uh, make all the ref assignments. And I think I've had myself in like four matches or whatever it was. Uh, and Scott Demore comes to me and he says, um, I need you to change the lineup. And I said, okay, what you need, buddy? He says, I don't want you doing anything else. I want you doing the last match of the night with uh, Kazarian and uh, uh, Saban. Saban. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm here. I'm not, I don't mind working. Well, no, that's what I want you to do. I said, okay. So long story short, because I don't want to talk it to death. Um, Frankie and them had this most amazing match. Frankie and Saban have this most amazing match. I don't know if you've watched it or looked at it, but and I'm not putting you on spot. That's fine. If you haven't, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the YouTube link. Um, but anyway, uh, he, after that match, cuts this scathing promo on me, like puts me over so bad and makes me absolutely lose my mind. Um, that was also the same weekend my Uncle David died. Um, my father was with me as well. Um, unbelievable. Um, and just the reason why I'm bringing this up is because you, you, you two have meant, meant so much to my life and my career. Um, and I just think that, you know, Frankie kind of wrapped it up for me and just said that, you know, I was a, I was a go-to ref. I was a go-to guy outside of the ring and stuff like that. It just, you know, it makes, you know, a guy like me like choke up and I'm, I'm good now. I'm good. At, I mean, I'm um, a few weeks in retirement now, but uh, anyway, I just wanted you to know that. And, 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 and he even mentioned me and you, uh, me, you and him backstage after we were done, when we were eating some cake, even though he, me, me and him didn't even eat cake, we still in the floor. Uh, but just, I just wanted you to know that you're a very impactful guy uh, for me personally. And, and I mean that with all my heart. Um, and you're always somebody that I can say, you know, that, you know, RJ does all the research and stuff and says what we're going to do week to week. And can we do this? Can we do that? And you're one of those guys that, I, you know, he says, Hey, I'm going to do Christopher Daniels. What's, what's, what's the chances? And I'm like, well, there, there's a great chance. Uh, he's a great friend of mine. I, I, I can get him on the show and not that you being on the show makes you even better or not, whether you couldn't do it or not. And I meant my text to you when I told you about it, whether you could beat it or not, it's not going to change anything. But I just wanted you to know that, you know, you guys sometimes don't realize being wrestlers compared to a referee don't know how much you can impact people's lives um, and, and their family's lives. Um, and so I just respect you to death. I respect Frankie to death. I know this is not about Frankie, but when I when I think of you, I think of Frankie for some reason. I just think of a unit. Sure. And, and yeah, it, we're it, attached it, to the hip. That's why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just it just it, it just makes me happy. And so, well, let me I, let me co- let me comment on that. For first of all, um, they approached me to be a part of the Slam anniversary that weekend, but I had already committed to New Japan uh, for that weekend, and so that was why I wasn't at Slam anniversary. Um, and I, you know, I'm disappointed. Uh, you know, I'm, I, I had made a commitment to New Japan, and the stuff that I'm doing with New Japan Strong right now is very important to me. But I, I would be remiss in saying that, like, it didn't sting a little bit to know that I was going to miss the 20th anniversary of Slam anniversary, and uh, to see 
Frankie and Chris Saban and, uh, you know, the guys on the team for Team TNA or Team Impact, uh, you know, it, it felt good to know that those guys were representing the company that meant so much to our careers. And um, I know for a fact, like, Frankie was very thrilled to get an opportunity to be in the ring with Chris Saban uh, on that show. And uh, for you to be a, the referee for that as well, it also sort of made everything full circle after the careers that you had at, at Impact. And as many times as you had worked with myself and Frankie, I know it meant a lot to Frankie to have you be the referee for that match. And if that was the last match that you did, if that was what was the swan song, then I'm sure that's going to stick in Frankie's mind for a long time and Chris Saban's mind a long time because, you know, we work with so many people over the course of our careers, but, you know, you remember the ones that stand out. You remember the ones that, that were great. Uh, you know, the referees are very important or a very important party, even though they're unsung heroes, like no one ever really gets an opportunity to put the referees over the way that we to know they deserve to be put over. And, um, you know, the, the great ones stand out, you know, in our minds, like we remember who the good ones are and we forget about the guys who don't know what they're doing and don't belong in, in a striped shirt, but we remember the ones that stand out and definitely Brian, you've always stood out. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that if that was your last match, I'm glad that it was with Frankie and, and Chris, those guys, uh, of course they put on a great match. That's all they know how to do. And, um, you know, and what, and what a way to go out, man. So ref two guys like that, uh, in front of a crowd, uh, a hot crowd, um, you know, and I know I saw bits and pieces of Frankie's speech and I know how much this company has meant the impact the company has meant to him in his career, in his life, um, you know, meeting Tracy and, 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 and being a part of, of that story for that, um, you know, I know it, it, it means a lot to him. And so, of course, it means a lot to me as well because he's my best friend. And, and I'm glad that it all worked out the way it did, man. And I'm so glad that uh, I got an opportunity to work with you as often as I did. Thank you very, very much, man. I, and, and once again, it, it's it's not a, a piss party. This is a this is a this is a great moment for me. And um, um, I'm glad I'm in that spot. And you know what? And you're right. I know it won't be my last match, but this will be my last match that I'll ever be contractually under anybody that controls me. I'm going to control myself. Um, but it's my last match that matters. Um, Got so it. that's where I'm at. And um, yeah, so I just wanted to catch you up. I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't know if you knew the, the ins and outs of that. It was kind of really cool for me. And I, I, when I got that text in the morning, it was just like, Holy Jesus, man, this is fucking going to be a great day, you know, because I had yeah. such a bad weekend with my Uncle David dying and my dad was with me sure. already. And it, it was just uplifting. And, and Frankie was there and me and him were just it was like old times, man. Buddy, buddy. You know, it was great. Awesome. And if you would have been there, Jesus Christ, I'd have been laughing my ass off. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. But. CD, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule for us. Uh, lastly, you know, just plug anything you got coming up, uh, AEW wise, people can get a hold of you social media wise, what have you. Um, well, AEW, uh, Wednesday nights on TBS and Friday nights on TNT, uh, Dynamite and Rampage. Um, uh, thank you to all the fans that are supporting AEW, man. I know that uh, we've been very, 
lucky to be as successful as we have been in such a short period of time. And that has a lot to do with the fan reaction and the fan support. So thank you to all of you that have supported the company from the very beginning. Um, I hope to be uh, in the ring again soon in front of you on, on TNT and TBS. Um, but even, even if I don't, uh, thank you for the support for the company itself. Um, you can catch up with me on Twitter at, at FAC Daniels. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and I'm doing uh, shows around the U.S. Uh, I work for Defy. I work for New Japan Strong. I do some some other independent stuff around the U.S. and uh, yeah, that's basically everything I'm doing, man. So thanks thanks for having me on the on the podcast, guys. Brian, congratulations again on this endeavor. I hope it's uh, wildly successful, and uh, I'm sure it'll do better once you get me off of here and stop me from talking, ruining oh. your your <laughs> algorithm. Oh, stop! Hey, uh, one, one, <laughs> one more thing under my cap. I was the first referee right. yep. ever, ever on Rampage. First episode. First ref. Oh, there you go. Out of boy. Yeah. Out of boy. It was uh, me, Christian, me, Christian Cage, and um, Kenny Omega. Kenny. Yeah, man. Yes, sir. Yep. They can't take that away from you, dude. Feather in the cap. Feather in the cap. Out of boy. Congrats, man. Congrats. Hey, thank you so much, man, for being on the show, man. I really do appreciate it. And, uh, once again, man, you, you've uh, affected my life in, in, in many positive ways. And uh, I really mean that with all my heart. And uh, I love you and Frankie. And like I said, I keep bringing up Frankie because I just – y'all are y'all, y'all are just like two of my brothers together. So, Well, thanks, man. I appreciate you having me on the podcast. And uh, thanks for all the kind words. And, and thank you to all your fans that are listening for uh, the support throughout the years. And uh, keep listening to Reffing It Up, guys. Big thanks to Christopher Daniels for coming on and chatting with us this week uh next week we got bully ray we're gonna be talking everything bubba bully whatever you want to call him at this point right <laughs> dude i now this is gonna be a this is gonna be a good one for me because uh me and bully have a little love hate relationship but in a way it's all love he won't admit it but but damn it i love bully ray how can you not right I mean, my God. All right. Well, <laughs> so, so, so anyways, we're going to be going over obviously his whole historical career that he was a part of. We're looking forward to that. We're actually going to be going over his match versus AJ Styles from Slammerversary nine in a last man standing match. I'm starting to see a theme here. You see a lot of AJ Styles, a lot of Christopher Daniels, Kazarian, Bully Ray. I, we're starting to see a pattern here, Brian. Well, yeah, and, you know, and, and hopefully not to bore the guys that listening and girls that listen. Um, I hope there's girls. Um, I, think but, like, uh, I think it's like 3%, but I'll take it. Three, that's it? Damn. Okay. Yeah. I got to keep going to the gym. I got to keep going to the gym. We become uh, a, a video podcast, and you'll just, like, you'll do the show topless or something. Let's not get crazy. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, uh, so, yeah. Uh, also, we're going to obviously talk about the Dudley boys mm-hmm. um, and that historic career. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be a fun podcast. It's going to be really good. Yeah. So, you know, another shout out to our boys, AJ McKay, first and foremost, for that great introduction. I listen to it every week. I, do, I, I listen to it even when I'm not on the show because it's so great. So go give him uh, his website. Follow AJ McKay or excuse me, AJ 
I, I, okay. I should write this down, man. AJ McKay. AJ McKay creative.com. There you go. Jesus. I knew it had something you, creative. I got to fix you. Jeez. Oh, yeah. I got to do the whole Goldberg thing. I got to like headbutt the locker or something before I do the show. So I like knock some sense into me. Um, oh, but Lord. also J- JD hoop at JD hoop uh, 20 or seven Oh two. Um, great graphics. He does a show for us each and every week. I look forward to getting that email every time and all that good stuff. So go give him a follow. He's does great work as well. Uh, man, just whirlwind, whirlwind of support that we've gotten for the show. Continue to support us. We appreciate you. Go to a castby.com slash roughing it up. Social media is there. All the platforms are there. Um, Brian close up shop. What, uh, you got anything else? Uh, well, the only thing I want to say is this, um, last and foremost, um, JD does a great job with our graphics and stuff on there. Um, also understanding that he does some, um, some, uh, uh, I guess some, um, type making, I don't know what you call it. Seamstress work. Oh, um, right. Oh, for gear work gear. Yeah. 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 Some gear work. Uh, she, yeah. Guys, give him a, give him a follow or reach out to him. Yeah. Um, AJ, obviously you, you got anything that's important. You want something fucking promoted. You better call this guy. We're just so blessed. Um, and not only that, but I mean, everybody I deal with has, initials so we got rj we got jd we got aj i mean my lord and if i wonder ever i get confused that's why my well, name's I figured, brian i figure it'd be easy you could just write, write them on your hands or write them on like a little like index cards or something i i, I guess i don't know but no i, I got nothing know. going on i'm going to hit the bowling alleys i'm going to be a pro bowler yeah, so if you follow Brian on Twitter at Baby Hebner or Instagram or whatever, first and foremost, you probably get to see a cameo from one of your daughters, and then you get to see uh, Brian becoming the next, uh, was it Parker Bowen the third or something? Uh, yeah, well, whatever. Professional bowler, I don't know. I, the name sounded accurate. I didn't know. Anyways, <laughs> thanks, yeah. for listen- thanks for listening this week on Wrapping It Up with Brian Hebner, and we'll see you right here next week. One, two, three.